This morning, however, uh, we're going to do kind of a first of the year, standalone uh, type of sermon. This is not about New Year's resolutions, so don't, don't even begin to, to think that way. This is really kind of asking the question of what should the tone uh, of a group of people that call themselves Christians, call themselves disciples, followers of Jesus, kind of what should the tone be of our community life, not only for ourselves, uh, but for those around us. So we're going to look this morning at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, and we'll be reading those verses in just a few minutes. But it was about eight weeks ago today, actually, it was a Sunday night, uh, I had the news on, I don't remember if it was local or national, but the person that was looking at me through the TV screen, the newscaster said, today is one year prior to the elections. And I just kind of went, oh, it's going to be a long year. It's going to be a painful year. It's already, we, we could tell already if we're, you know, following social media, thinking it all about what's going on locally or nationally, it, it's already a mess. People are on edge. People are not treating one another very well at all. People, and, and you know, let's just kind of call it what it is. You have the, you know, the forever Trumpers and the never Trumpers. And you have people like, it should have been impeachment three years ago, and it should never be impeachment. And people that are you know, very, very liberal to people that are very, very conservative and the independents in the middle kind of playing the referee for everybody. But folks are mean-spirited in a lot of our conversations with one another. And we tend to be looking at one another and sizing one another up, whether, wondering whether you're a friend or whether you're an enemy, whether I could trust you or whether perhaps you think and have a different agenda or a different vision uh, than I do. And our faith in Jesus, the grace and the mercy that Christ has given to us seems to be lost somewhere in translation because I'm not just talking about the culture out there. I'm actually talking right now about the Christian community. I'm, I'm, I'm just reserving this to not just our spiritual family here at Green Tree, but the Christian community in general. We've already had in the last four weeks, we have already had in the Christian community in the United States, a very public and very heated and very, and, and very mean-spirited debate about politics. And I'm referring to the Christianity Today article and the fallout from all that. We did not treat one another very well in that process. So what hope do we have going forward that things will be different? What chance do we have that we actually have a tone amongst ourselves that glorifies God, that, that really genuinely cares for other people well? Because if the Christian community can't get this right, we have no chance when we go out into the rest of the world. And we're responsible as followers of Jesus for the greater St. Louis region and, and the state of Missouri and the United States. We're, we're part of that culture. And if, if the church is going to be antagonistic about these kinds of topics, and we're going to ignore, or at least we're going to set aside the grace and the love and the compassion of Christ, I think we're going to put ourselves in an untenable position. So I think it would be wise for us this morning to consider what it means to really apply the gospel in our relationships with one another, because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about human relationships. What is my role? What's yours role? What's our role as a congregation? Not just in 2020, not just in heading into election year, but across the board, how we treat one another, how we treat strangers and friends, how we treat family members and folks that we're just meeting for the very first time, people that look like us, 
people that think like us and people that don't look like us and, and think radically different than we do. How we approach those is going to determine a lot of how the gospel moves forward. We claim to love God because of the grace that we've received through Jesus. Are we willing to share that grace with others? We say that everyone is welcome here in our spiritual family to join us in learning about Christ and hopefully coming to faith in Christ and following him. But are, are we really living that out in a very practical way? Are we really praying to make a difference in our world via the grace of God and Christ? Are we proactive in offering the unconditional love of Christ above all else? Above all else. Are we about the kingdom of God? Do we see the world fundamentally through the grace that we've received in Christ Jesus? So the way we're going to approach this sermon this morning is this. I'm going to read the passage, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40, and then I'm going to invite Connie Beamer, who is a friend and a, a part of the Green Tree Spiritual Family, to come and to share her thoughts on this passage. Connie is a chaplain at St. Louis Children's Hospital, so she spends you know, every day of her life uh, dealing with hurting people, dealing with people that are in maybe not a crisis situation, but many times in a crisis situation. And she has the heart of a chaplain. And, and all that is to say that she's much nicer than me. Uh, and she has a kind spirit uh, that, that I don't tend to always see in my life. So when she was talking to me about what she saw in this passage, my reaction was she needs to share this with all of us. And so I'm going to read. I'm going to pray for her. She's going to share, and then I'm going to come back and wrap it up, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So here, the Word of God, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip, by the way, if you don't know who he was, he was one of the early disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts. He, he came to salvation, uh, probably uh, hearing uh, the preaching, maybe perhaps of Jesus, but certainly of the apostles. So he, he's in the early church. So the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So just picture in your mind, driving across Kansas, you better have a good book. So he's, he's reading as they are traveling. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, and then he quotes from what we would call today Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears are silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Seer is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. 
And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word, to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we live in turbulent times, and that's not new to this world. Uh, it certainly isn't new to our, our country or this community. Uh, but Father, it seems like it's, it's perhaps sharper than before. Maybe it's because we're uh, easily uh, accessing so much information so quickly. Uh, but Lord, it, it seems that there is a tension and a, and a biting spirit that uh, is just so harmful to us. Lord, that's, that is not part of your kingdom. It's from the evil one. Uh, but we are tempted to join right in. We are tempted to see uh, politics is more important than our faith or certain personalities we're drawn to or certain personalities we don't like. We kind of draw a line in the sand and, and we ignore the gospel. Uh, and we assign people motives that perhaps aren't theirs. Uh, and we tend to see ourselves as the ones that are innocent through the whole process. Father, that is uh, wrong. <laughs> it doesn't do us any good in the long run. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this passage in our hearts and minds today to show us how you look at the world and to help us consider if we claim to follow you through the Lord Jesus, perhaps we should have that same attitude. Lord, I thank you for the work that Connie does at Children's Hospital. Lord, probably all of us know a family or two that have been through a tough experience with a child and they've, they've been in that place. We thank you for the great work that they do there. Father, we Thank you for the chaplain work that she does, for the care and the compassion she offers. So, Lord, I, I so appreciate her, her view of this text, and I pray that you would use her and use your word this morning uh, to teach us and to grow us in our faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. I'd just like to thank Pastor Tom and the church leadership for allowing me to share what I believe God's put on my heart. But before I start, I wanted to share a little bit about myself for those of you who don't know me very well. I'm a graduate of Kirkwood High School. This is an important distinction in the Green Tree Church, Kirkwood or Webster. So I put very embarrassing pictures up there from my time at Kirkwood High School. One is me on the JV volleyball team, and the other is my senior picture. You can guess the era by the hairstyles, but I'm not going to tell you the exact year. I'm also a chaplain at St. Louis Children's Hospital. I've been there about 11 years. This is not my typical uniform that I wear while I'm working as a chaplain. Um, but this year, some of the chaplains and staff dressed up for Halloween. And the nice thing is my blue hair demonstrates that um, an important part of pediatric hospitals is sometimes we're able to have fun. Another fun fact about me is that at the very first newcomer's lunch in the atrium, I hear that is no longer in the atrium, um, I met my husband. Uh, I'd been attending since, I guess, when they were meeting at North, and we'd moved in the new building, and they announced the first newcomer's lunch in January. And I, I went, 
Rick came across the sitting area to talk to me, and the rest is history. This is a photo of our wedding. We actually got married in the lobby, and we didn't have to decorate it because it was December 31st. Rick jokes when they announce the newcomer's lunch, come to learn about the church and maybe find a wife. (laughs) The real reason that I'm here to talk to you today is a message that's for myself and hopefully for the church too, is I believe we don't love big enough. As we look at this passage from Acts 8, I'll explain why. So the sermon in a sentence, keeping with the Tom structure, is that God sees all of us and passionately pursues us across all physical, racial, and social barriers. We should do the same if we're truly loving as God does. So a little seminary lesson for you all as you're reading your scripture, your Bible every day as you should be. Um, when you're looking at your passage that you're reading, you can do two things. You can do eisegesis, which is the Greek word for placing your own interpretation from your uh, culture, from your biases, onto the scripture. Or you can do exegesis, which is pulling out from the text the meaning. And you have to look at the historical, contextual, and especially the Christological meaning behind that passage historical being looking at the history from when it was written. Um, The contextual is looking at the chapter, verses, and things around that passage. But most importantly, when we think of the life of Christ, we need to always look at Scripture through that lens. Because Christ is the most perfect revelation of God, His nature, purpose, and grace in the world. Artists also do interpretation when they're working with their media, so this is Rembrandt, and I think there's a Rembrandt ex- exhibition right now at our art museum. But anyway, Rembrandt actually painted this passage. So as, what do you see first when you look at this painting from Rembrandt? So I saw in the Rembrandt painting Philip. And when I read the passage way back when, Philip was really on my mind. Philip is a missionary who was very brave to go on that desert road to find the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, He was compassionate to explain Isaiah and to baptize the eunuch right there. And for those of you who love superheroes, he was a superhero because he was divinely teleported for miles. Those Trekkies out there, the the exact distance was 30 miles that the Holy Spirit teleported him to get to his next location. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. So in the ne- this next painting is from Austria in the 1950s and 60s of our passage. What do you see first? You see the Ethiopian eunuch. And so today we're going to look at the Ethiopian eunuch and ask, why did God passionately pursue this man in Philip's ministry? And what did God really see in his life? First of all, the eunuch worked for a very powerful empire, the Kushite kingdom, uh, ruled by a powerful queen called Candace. The Candakes were a series of queens um, that ruled during that time period. They weren't associated with any king. They rode into battle with their armies, 
and amassed great riches from iron, so they had the chariots and things. Rome had to negotiate peace with them versus conquering them because they were so powerful. One of the Candaces rode into uh, a Roman city and stole their statue of Augustus Caesar, buried it in their town so they would always walk on his head to proclaim the dominance over the Roman Empire. So she was a, she was a powerful woman. So uh, as we look at the eunuch, he's a powerful and educated Jewish believer. He's just coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem. He controlled the finances of the Cushite kingdom, which is on level with Rome. But most importantly, I think, for this passage is he is said to be a eunuch, which means he has no possibility of family, community, or a normal life. So as we look at this passage from Isaiah, let's look at it a little closer, why he was interested in it as a eunuch, as a powerful man from another culture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? And remember, this passage is about Christ. So the eunuch was reading it from his chariot and beginning to feel his life connecting with someone greater in the person of Christ. He had just seen the Jerusalem temple and probably tried to worship there, but had to worship in the outer courtyard because of his condition, culture, and race. He saw lambs slaughtered for the sacrifice, and he wondered, who's this man in Isaiah that understands what it means to not have a voice, to not have justice in their life, or even a family to call their own? A man whose innocent life was taken just like the lambs that had been sacrificed in the temple. The eunuch was probably thinking, this Jesus can understand my separateness, and he can give me belonging that I've never felt. So my question to you is, who are the people in your life who you know that feel separate yet are seeking God, who feel different and rejected by church culture? I wanted to share a story of, uh, that I experienced as a chaplain in the PICU. That's our pediatric ICU. Um, a mother native to another culture had a baby in the PICU who was dying. I was in the room with staff supporting the mother because chaplains are called for every death. And her whole family was far away, so she was by herself. I remember her holding her dying baby and sinking to the floor but singing with her loudest voice about all the pain, anguish, and sorrow in her heart. She sang about the beauty of his face and how she would miss his soft cheeks against hers. She sang about places they'd never be able to go together and family that he would never meet. The pain of hearing her voice in those moments was a terrible weight in the room. No one could keep from crying as this mother's whole soul was laid bare. So my thought is, what if we could hear heart cries of everyone in our community, of those in our church? What if we could hear the music of deepest pain of those who are different, 
that may feel unwelcome, unwanted, or even have been shamed in their life. Those who are isolated by church culture of sameness and false perfection. And when I say sameness, I mean that many of us have similar life circumstances, culture, traditions, beliefs. We have people who look like us and we feel comfortable around them. False perfection means often in the church, people hide their true pain in the condition of their lives. They try to mask flaws in order to keep their status and friendships. But what if we could hear our heart cries? So God sees the eunuch's face and goes to the greatest lengths to make sure that all are passionately pursued in greatest love, that all are forgiven by Christ's grace, and that all are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Sometimes I don't see, we don't see, the faces of those who need us the most, those who need the love of Christ in their lives. I chose this image to demonstrate what our role is in the world. And those are, these are those of us who are believers. This is the image of who we should be to our hurting world. We are first responders of the soul. We are the firefighter, and the child is the world, needing rescue and in the fire. We, they have no idea how to rescue themselves. We don't stop and question if we're called to do this. We have the gifts to do it. We just go in. And if we stay faithful to our task, we know it gives life and eternal rescue in Christ. And so I ask you, finally, what do you see? I see two souls joined in the love of Christ. One leading the other to saving grace and eternal peace. Between them is no division. And the result of their meeting is celebration and life. So we should go and do the same. There's a lot there to, to digest, and I'm sure the Lord uses it in different ways in each one of our hearts. Um, and I'm only going to take a couple minutes to wrap this up. But I think, uh, is, for me, the, the picture of the firefighter. Um, the firefighter doesn't ask, do the people in this building believe the same thing I believe? Or do the people in this building, do they come from the same socioeconomic background as I do? The firefighter simply says, are there people that need to be saved? And if so, I'm going. And there's a simplicity to that, but there's also something very profound about that. The simplicity is you go. That, that, that's what you're called to do. But what's profound about that is that's what God has placed in our hearts through Christ. That part of being made in the image of God is caring for others. And I certainly haven't been in as many hospital rooms as, as Connie and her associates have uh, at Children's Hospital, but I've been in my share of hospital rooms, and nobody's asking those kind of questions. Nobody's asking who you vote for. No, nobody's asking, you know, I tease a lot about whether you're a Cups fan or not. Nobody, nobody's asking about, you know, that's all trivial. It all becomes next to nothing because 
ultimately, God's created us to be in relationship with him, which means part, part of that is being in relationship with one another. So uh, Connie has helped me turn from being a pessimist about 2020 to, to being uh, an optimist. Uh, the way that, that she shared this word with me has made me think, I'm happy for the opportunity we have. I'm thankful for the challenge that is before us to, to live out what we say we really believe, which is seeking first the kingdom of God, of being used by God to go. Let me remind you of, of what she said at the outset uh, as we close, that, that the Lord pursues passionately. He pursues uh, us with uh, a longing, with, uh, without looking at um, you know, the things about us that maybe other people look at. He sees us, he pursues us passionately, physical, ra- uh, racial, social barriers. That's who we are. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate in just a couple of minutes here as we come to the Lord's table. What we're celebrating is not our victory over sin. It's not our goodness. What we're celebrating is Christ's victory over sin that he gives to us freely, that he imparts to us by grace. But then you can't help but ask the second question. Uh, if, if that's the case, if we're spiritually nourished this morning by the Word of God, which I believe we are, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're spiritually nourished by the spiritual presence of Jesus in these communion elements, then where does that go? We're, we're not fed to that degree in order to become gluttons. We're fed to that degree in order to be energized, in order to be equipped, in order to be empowered. And, and therefore, the second half of the of the sermon of sense is a question. We should, or, or is a statement, we should do the same if we're truly loving as God does. And the best way I know to go about that is to reflect on God's love for us, to reflect on what he has done for us in Christ. And so uh, it's fun to, I, I like having communion the first Sunday of the year, no matter what, uh, just as we start in the new year. But I think it's especially important this morning uh, as we think about the opportunity that is before us to love as we've been loved. What better way to remember that than to, to come to this table and to experience once again uh, the grace and the power of God as the Lord Jesus. And it's, it's mysterious. It, it's, it's not quite possible to explain how Jesus, he's not physically present in these elements. He is spiritually present in these elements. But as he is spiritually present, he nourishes us in order that we would go and that we would serve him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for uh, using Philip to bring the gospel uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch, and therefore uh, maybe, the, maybe the first Christian me- message shared in Ethiopia uh, was when that, that man got home. But Lord, we, we thank you that you pursue the world. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, Lord, help us when we struggle with our insecurities, with our biases, Uh, with the things within us that cause us to uh, dislike others, to think less of others, uh, and to just not care enough to to be a witness to them. Father, help us to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would nourish us to that end as we celebrate uh, your table this morning, and that as you are spiritually present in these elements, that you would feed your people. Lord Jesus, we come in humility. We come as recipients, not as givers. We come as those who have received your grace, uh, not as those who have earned it. And so we come with thankful hearts, we come with humble hearts, and we come longing for you to fill us and to transform us, that we would be uh, your messengers in this world uh, of the goodness and the grace of God that flows 
through you. We pray in your name. Amen. The night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they had eaten, he took the cup, and when he poured it, he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. All of you drink from it, because as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, I'm going to ask the servers if you would come forward uh, to serve the people of God. Uh, So this morning, you can stay right where you are. We're going to bring the elements to you. We're going to pass them down the aisles. Please take, uh, if you're you're celebrating Lord's Supper with us, take a piece of bread. Uh, If you're gluten intolerant, underneath every napkin on every tray, there's a little bit of gluten-free. So whichever would be best for you. Take a piece of bread and a cup and then hang on to it until everybody's been served. And then I'll come back and we will all partake together. Uh, And let me also uh, just mention that this is uh, the Lord's Supper for those who have put their faith in him. Uh, The Lord promises to nourish us. If you're not a believer in Jesus, this morning would be a great time to put your faith in him and to celebrate your first communion. But if you're still pondering that, if you're still wondering about these things, please don't feel obligated uh, to participate simply because you're sitting in a building that people call a church. Uh, We want for a communion to be genuine Uh, to faith. And so if you're not there, it might be a good time just for you to ask the Lord to speak to you about faith in him this morning.